Welcome to the Birds Up Podcast, brought to you by the UTSA Alumni Association. We are your source on what's going on at the university, the Alumni Association, and all things Runner Nation. Because now and forever, we are Roadrunners. 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 Welcome, Runner Nation, to another episode of the Birds Up Podcast, brought to you by the UTSA Alumni Association, a podcast by runners for runners. And I am your host, Drew Addison. And with me, as always, is my beautiful wife, Yvonne. How are you today? I'm doing great. It is freezing It is cold. freezing today. <laughs> it is, and all the warnings coming into, into work today, there's like, well, every school district is closed. Yeah. UTSA, campus is closed. Yeah. The, daycare all, is closed. Daycare is closed. <laughs> oh, so. I took the back roads all the way to the office today, so I felt like it was pretty safe. Ooh, I lived on the edge. You and did. I went on the freeway. Actually, it wasn't bad. Well, that flyover, I don't know. That's oh. crazy. Everybody was going slow. We, we were going like 50 miles an hour. Yeah. So, I mean, it was... Well, I'm ready for this cold weather to be done. Yeah. I don't like... The cold's not so bad, but with then you add in the rain, and then you add in the wind, and that makes it worse. Yeah, yeah. The cooler so. weather's nice, but, you know, this this rain is crazy. And I think this is the first time this year that I've seen uh, snow possible on my Outlook thing. Oh. So, yeah, off and on, apparently. Huh. So, anyway, uh, <laughs> another busy couple of weeks. Uh, you and I attended the State of the University address by President Amy and a fantastic yeah, panel, panel yesterday. Yeah, it was great. Great attendance. Um, they streamed it virtually, too. So, I think there's a lot of participation mm-hmm. on the internets yeah. um, to catch up on what's happened in 2022 and what we're looking forward to in 2023. So, um, I thought it was some really great highlights and and also agreed the panel was fantastic um, a group of UTSA staff who were touching on kind of different aspects of what's going on at the university Dr. Jenny Shea she man that one she is just incredible just the research she does in brain health I've seen some of her presentations and I'm just like mind blown mm-hmm. yeah so you know having these incredibly talented faculty who are able to share what they're doing in terms of research and how cutting edge it is. It's one of the things that drives folks' interest in UTSA, like people outside of UTSA, legislature, folks who are invested in UTSA or interested in investing in UTSA. It's faculty like Dr. Shea that really help to solidify those types of investments. So kudos to her and her whole staff. And then, yeah, just some other really great stories about how the staff members came to UTSA, how their experience has been working with the university and what they're looking forward to. Um, Man, these are really great, talented leaders. And then Erica McFarland, she was Spirit of the Roadrunner. So I got to meet her last year during some of the UTSA ring ceremony and football games and some different things going on around campus. And she is just I th- I think she's sparkly. Does that is that a good way to describe her? She's awesome. I would she's agree just with that. So super talented, re- a great leader. I follow her on social media, and she's I mean she is roadrunner in and out. So yeah. congratulations to her. I know she's pursuing hi- some higher education. Yeah, so she's and- wrapping up her her undergrad, and then she received a scholarship to attend college in Canada. Yeah. So that's really incredible, and it's, it was also a celebration of President Amy's sixth year. As oh yes, of yes. ETSA. And he showed up right when Hurricane Harvey yeah, was yeah. coming through. Yeah. So. 
So sixth year for President Amy, and then now we are at over 150,000 alumni at UTSA. So that is incredible. A a couple other highlights that they touched on was uh, average years to graduate UTSA 10 years ago was 5.4 years. And now students are looking at 4.3 years to complete their undergrad, which is incredible. And then also first year retention rates uh, have increased to 80% at UTSA. Mm-hmm. And that just kind of goes to show, you know, everything that's, that is in the works with the faculty and staff at UTSA is having a, a greater effect on the student population and, and their experience at UTSA. So mm-hmm. it, was, it was an awesome event. It was cool to see everybody and uh, really get, get that update. Yeah, there were a couple of things that really like piqued my ears when I heard. So one of the things that he mentioned was the shift of the admissions process. So, you know, we grew up, I mean, and it's still prevalent today that the exclusiveness of the admissions process for many of the, the universities that you, you know, the names that just come up to your brain quickly when you hear something like that. And really this shift of universities who are inclusive with their admissions process. And this is really, these policies and practices are starting to become a measure of higher education institutions. How inclusive is that process of helping students um, get access to education to an advanced degree? It was really interesting to kind of hear that paradigm sort of being turned on its head. Um, and then one of the other things he mentioned was, we've talked, and I'm sure you've heard about the Carnegie R1 designation that we earned. So now in the next couple of years, we're going to start hearing about this E1 designation. And this is focused on economic mobility. How well is your higher education institution at helping students go on to earn high paying jobs and fruitful careers? And we can confidently say that UTSA is already at at the top of the list of universities from other studies that have been done um, and where we land on these lists. So when this E1 designation goes fully live, UTSA is going to be primed to be one of the first uh, institutions whose name's going to be right up there because of the types of careers and high paying jobs that students coming out of UTSA are earning. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's that's paramount to this designation. And as President said multiple times yesterday, we're crushing it. Oh, we're crushing (laughs) it. Oh, yes. In a whole lot of fist bumps. uh, But yeah, it it was awesome. It was really, really great. But uh, let's go ahead and jump into the interview for today. Today, we welcome class of 2007 and Chief Development Officer for Morgan's Inclusion Initiative and all of Morgan's Wonderland's entities, Brooke Kearney. And it is really cool to hear how she found her passion at her time at UTSA, her time with the FIMU sorority, their experience on uh, working with nonprofits, and then her career really expanding into that with a bunch of different organizations around San Antonio, and then ultimately landing her dream job with Morgan's Wonderland. It is really, really cool to go down that path with her. But stick around for after the interview as we'll go over some more things that are happening at the University and the Alumni Association, and we'll be back in a bit. Birds up. Birds up. Beep, beep. Coming into UTSA and coming out of UTSA and starting my career, I've always been in the for-profit realm, and I've always been kind of fascinated about the nonprofit side of things. And Jacob, in your line of work, you work with a lot of nonprofits. Yeah, I'm blessed in that way. You know, you work with so many people who have a huge heart for what they're doing, Mm -hmm. and and that's what I love about my job. Absolutely. And in doing the show, we talk to so many alumni that either come out of for-profit into nonprofit Mm -hmm. or vice versa. And the more we speak to them and the more we learn about how they find that 
passion mm-hmm. and what they do is truly inspiring. And today is really no exception as we welcome class of 2007 Chief Development Officer for Morgan's Inclusion Initiative and Morgan's Wonderland Entities, Brooke Kearney. Welcome to the show today. It's an honor to be here. Exciting time for Morgan's Wonderland and we'll dive more into that. But let's go ahead and start off in Beeville, Texas. Yes. And you making your decision to come to UTSA. How does all that come about? Born and raised in Beeville, Texas. I'm actually a sixth generation Beevillian. Wow. Born, Is that how you say yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Beville, yeah yes. Born in Beeville, Texas. Wow. And so my mom's family's been there for six generations. Mm. And then back in the day, we used to have military base. And so my dad ended up coming there with my grandfather, who was in the Navy. And then they met in high school and murder, she wrote. Here we are. <laughs> right? But Beeville's a small town community. It was much smaller. One high school. Right. So yeah. one junior high. That partially, I think, later in my life, looking back, is kind of why I do what I do. But applied to a lot of colleges, didn't really know what I was going to do and what I wanted to do. I mean, initially, when I went to UTSA, my first major declaration was biology and psychology as a double major Mm. so that I could go into that field. Ended up picking UTSA based on some scholarships and locality to family. We either went to Corpus or we went to San Antonio for like back to school shopping or to, you know, to go eat at the Olive Garden. Go fancy. Watch out. Yeah. Um, And so new San Antonio had family that lived here and so moved here in the summer of 2004. Mm -hmm. And this became my new home. And this is where I'm proud to be from. And this is the community that me and my husband and my daughter have committed our lives to making a better place. I grew up in Corpus Christi, a little bit bigger than Beeville. A little bit. But still relatively small, especially considering the size of San Antonio. But my first city that I moved to from Corpus Christi was Houston. And I remember sitting on 45, going to work and sitting in traffic and realizing how small I was at that point. Bit of a culture shock coming into it. When you move from Beeville to San Antonio to start a UTSA, what was that transition like? It was a fairly easy transition because I was ready to roll. Also, one of those things as I self-reflect and have a family and try to support other folks, looking back, I tried to grow up too fast. Mm -hmm. I was hurrying to get out of high school, hurrying to get to college, hurrying to finish college, hurrying to find a job and trying to give to others and my daughters enjoy that time. You're hurrying a finite amount of time that you don't know, right? Mm -hmm. So I was in a hurry, always moving quickly, came in with about a year of college already under my belt. So starting kind of early and was like, we're going to do this quick. Mm -hmm. But UTSA did not look like UTSA looks now. I can only imagine coming to UTSA now as a small city person trying to find themselves Mm -hmm. because when I visited UT or other universities, it felt like a very close-knit community. And what I'm most proud about with UTSA is even though we are so big and have so many students is we've kept that. You can meet someone else from UTSA and automatically be like, you're my people, right? Right, yeah. And that's an interesting thought too, right? The perspective of UTSA going back to 2004 versus what it is today and how the university is different. And that really kind of is a segue into to your experience on the sorority life at FIMU. Right. What was your experience of, number one, finding out about it and then getting into the sorority? One of my favorite stories is when I came up for orientation, right? And orientation looked very different in yeah. 2004 <laughs> than it does now because later in my college career, I became an orientation leader and a leader in the orientation yeah. leadership space. But I remember meeting this one girl at orientation, a small town, right? She looked at me and she said, are you rushing? 
And I was like, oh, no, I'm not Russian. Yeah. I think I have mainly English and Scottish, <laughs> yeah. Irish descent. And she looked at me like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Coming from a small town, nobody talked about that. Right. I got into FIMU. I had already been at UTSA for a little bit. It was just a real neat place yeah. to meet folks and just be a part of something bigger than yourself, right? Yeah. Where you've got people from all walks of life. So yeah. it was the first opportunity to be like, this is bigger than who I am. Right. And then also with FIMU, our national philanthropy is the Children's Miracle Network. Because that's your first exposure to nonprofit work. It really was. Yeah. That was my first initiation of big city opportunities, right? Because in small town, if somebody had an illness or a disability, majority of the time their treatment was not in Beville. Right. You're right? leaving to go. So there's not as much exposure in small towns of folks with disabilities or chronic illnesses, mm-hmm. etc. So a lot of people in the industry that I work in supporting individuals with disabilities will say, I have a brother or I saw somebody grow up in small town. You didn't see yeah. that because most everybody Everybody got all those services elsewhere and mm. not in that small town. So mm-hmm. San Antonio was the first place that I saw that community, that need, and that initial magnet towards that work or life community. Yeah. Did you know right away that that's something that you'd go into professionally? Or was that just kind of like, this is interesting? I think it was more like, oh my gosh, this is really cool. Because I will tell you, initially it came wanting to be a medical examiner. Then I kind of realized that I liked talking with people, which yeah. is contrary to... Yeah, you wouldn't be talking <laughs> yeah. very much. You wouldn't be talking yeah. very much. Talking to yourself. Yes, exactly. So, and that's a little... Crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. So now I just watch all that on television and yeah. read books, right? right? Yeah, yeah. But when I graduated, I graduated in December of 07. Mm-hmm. And we all know what happened at the beginning right. of 2008. So I graduated again because I was hurrying and graduate. Yeah. What am I going to do? I know I wanted to work with people, mm-hmm. right? And at that point, it had more and more exposure. And everybody, I think, always thinks of children with disabilities. Well, the first opportunity that I had for a big girl job was working with adults with mm. severe intellectual and developmental disabilities. Mm. And in 2008, there were weren't a lot of job opportunities. The yeah. economy was horrible. So you took what you got. And that's really what started this whole wow. career. And real quick on the sorority, 5MU has been at UTSA for over 20 years now. You look at Greek life at UTSA and there's a lot of options. Yeah. And it's really great to see them going as strongly as they are. And Yvonne was a tri-delt. And I know that really translated to her professional career, moving into Junior League of San Antonio, ultimately becoming the president of the Junior League of San Antonio. Just seeing her growth in that. And again, it comes down to the programming for the students and availability to really shine and get to know people. In my experience, finding extracurriculars, whatever it is, get to meet people at the university. So if you're a student, think about getting involved. If you're a parent of a student, definitely have the conversation. I think there's a lot of misconceptions about Greek life. There is a lot of fun and that part, some of that's true, right? But I kind of had gone in with, oh, this is a place where I can go find people that we all kind of agree on the same thing and then be friends. And that exposure to all those people is what took me to that space, which introduced me to different places, right? So there's so much more than movies and things these days, you know, like old school and all that. It's not not like that here in San Antonio. Drew tried to start an old school. There's a lot of different kind of people in there, right? right? And it's not just your typical type of person that comes out of that. So, right, yeah. yeah. You'd mentioned earlier about being in a hurry to finish high school, finish college, and really kind of reflecting your time at UTSA because you came in December 2004, graduated 2007, coming into wanting to do biology, psychology ultimately getting your undergrad in psychology. And while there's a lot of opportunity in that is a pretty broad degree, what made you select psychology? And then what was your thoughts coming out of school? Because I feel like that's a degree where you'll absolutely need additional, additional yeah, education. Yeah. yeah, right. Well, and I think that's a big assumption for folks. That's one of those, what people would say, throwaway degree or something to that extent. But 
if we're looking at what are not throwaway degrees, like if you're thinking engineering or mm-hmm. biology in those spaces, what that doesn't have is that interpersonal social space, right? right? Mm-hmm. So who are all the people in the world that are going to play that interpersonal, social, right. feel-good, happy helpful space. And that's really where that psychology side links to. And so when I went with that degree choice, I knew that it was more in line to help folks. That was kind of the direction in the space that I was going to, knowing that it was going to be a buildup. When I graduated with that, it was a well, I have no idea what I yeah. want to do. And I mean, applied kind of everywhere in a lot of different spaces. Mm-hmm. So having that kind of degree gives you what I would say is flexibility to say, I could do that or I can do that. Right. But then you have to have somebody that takes a chance on you and yeah, gets in right, there, yeah. right? So it's also important to me, especially during that university life, I was hurrying, hurrying, hurrying to encourage our students to get to know the city, yeah. get to know the spaces, get mm-hmm. to yeah. know who's making a difference, who are the companies that you see and mm-hmm. show up. Because that would have been really great information coming out of, you know, graduating with hindsight 2020. But I didn't know much. My little world, you knew your university, didn't realize the importance of getting to know the community that you're going to spend the rest of your life in. Many of the folks who we've had the pleasure to be guests on this podcast, graduates from UTSA, tell a similar story. But it's not a linear path to get to chief development officer of a wonderful organization, San Antonio at Morgan's. It sounds like you have a similar message for a lot of students who may be listening of you don't have to have this end point in mind. We've heard through every one of these conversations that select your degree doesn't mean that that's what you're going to be. It's a starting point. And it's all about that exposure and that cross-pollination. When I was in high school, I was part of a science club. The doctor that was our mentor at that time said something to me that stuck to me this day. He was like, the best thing that you can do for your professional career now is get interested in different things. Mm -hmm. So when people hyper-focus on one thing, their careers, their opportunities are limited to that one thing. Mm -hmm. Get interested in medicine and art. And so one of those things is I've kept that with me. People are like, you're into everything. And I'm like, yes, because that allows me access and Mm -hmm. support and awareness to have conversations with others in and outside of what I do. Mm -hmm. Kind of that jack of all trades type of situation. So that's another thing that I always talk about. What are your varied interests and stay the path because your life will play itself out. The Mm -hmm. opportunity will present itself because if you're exploring in the arts, but you're also into science, it comes together at some point. And while you're in that space, you become extremely high resource for somebody, right? right? Because of how your interests connect. Yeah. And it also allows your professional network to just expand exponentially. Huge. Exactly. So let's talk about your first job coming out of UTSA. You briefly touched on it. So you start in 2008. Graduated in December 2007. But then, like I said, 2008 was just a really rough year Mm. for our economy, which is funny because looking back at that point, I think I still had blinders on to what was happening. I knew I wanted to help people, Mm -hmm. knew I wanted to do something with people and in that kind of space. And a position came up doing case management at a for-profit organization that managed group homes in the community. Mm -hmm. So that provides folks with intellectual and developmental disabilities Mm -hmm. the ability to be a meaningful member of their community and stay active in society as well as supporting parents that choose to have their adult kiddos with them. And I don't think I ever thought that I was going to work with adults with disabilities, but it's also one of those things, like I say, keep your interests open Mm -hmm. because when it happens, it makes sense. And man, when I found myself 
in the middle of this community of folks with disability in a space where their voice wasn't heard, that's when I discovered myself like, this is my purpose. Yeah, so wonderful. it's not like I woke up saying that I was going to work with folks with disabilities. It's folks with disabilities that I worked with seeing the struggles and the spaces where so many gaps and spaces that I realized that I was going to spend the rest of my life using my voice for those. Mm-hmm. That's voices not often loud enough or heard to give those folks the opportunity. And so I find myself in that path. Who knows what the future holds in oh, 10 yeah. to 15 years, but I guarantee you it'll be in a space to be able to support inclusion and access. Mm -hmm. and people feeling worthy in this community. Talk about a pivotal moment. You talked a little bit about someone just taking a chance on you and getting Mm -hmm. you that first job. I I had no experience working. Then all of a sudden I have a caseload of literally 50 people who I've never met in my life. So that first three to six months is spent calling parents. I'm your new case manager and here I am to help guide you through your services that I had never heard of, right? (laughs) I mean, so that realization that this is bigger than me and you meet a family and see their day-to-day and experience the barriers that yeah. their life Walk preserves. Their shoes, yeah. And it's just like, whoa. Yeah. And then when those families kind of adopt you, you become a daily pivotal part of their child or an adult with disabilities' ability to get a job yeah. and make a difference. It's a pretty cool feeling. Wow. Yeah. There's a lot of correlation between this and our last episode with Marissa. Mm-hmm. And the light bulb just went on. I mean, she comes out of school and she gets exposure to the education system and then, bam, mm-hmm. this is what I want to do. Yeah, right? exactly. And it's kind of one of those things that whatever path that you choose, and like you said, keeping your mind open, let's assume that that first job just didn't really click. And it doesn't mean that you're stuck in that field. There's a lot of folks that come to our organization that have been in a career for five, 10 years that are like, I don't like what I do. Yeah. I encourage folks, if you don't like it, find something you like, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, honestly, what I do now and where I work, this is the hardest thing I've ever done in my entire yeah. life. Mm-hmm. But I wake up every day knowing that I'm a part of something yeah. bigger than myself. Yeah. So until you feel that, you're not in the right, right. space, yeah. right? Keep searching yeah. and don't settle. I feel like something you said is probably very important for our students that are listening to understand that case management piece that I imagine that being incredibly challenging. That be and good, that yeah. probably weeds a lot of people out of nonprofit work to begin with. And mm. But you almost nutty. need that experience to was, fully understand the scope of what's happening. 60 mm-hmm. to 80 hours a yeah. week, on call, 24 hours a day, seven days a week mm. for group homes because mm-hmm. who else is going to do it right. but a 21-year-old that just got out of college, right? right. I mean, like, yeah. that's kind of the space that it was. There's been quite the evolution since mm-hmm. 2008 in that space, which I'm proud to have been a part of and mm-hmm. to support more efficiency and effectiveness. But in the space that I am now, when I meet with families that if I'm here at this high level trying to advocate up here, mm-hmm. I've been there. Yeah, I've you seen know. that. I've helped do those things. Yeah. And so it is a humbling space that you tell everybody you need to get that experience. But boy, whatever your interest is in, insert yourself at the base level mm-hmm. and see that for yourself because that just elevates your awareness. Yeah. Right. Coming into 2010, you become a services coordination specialist for the Alamo Area Colleges of Government. And for those of you who are not familiar, like myself, exactly what that is, it's a voluntary association of local governments that work to enhance the quality of the life of residents in the Alamo area through assisting local governments with planning, coordination activities, and providing health and human services to residents in the region. 
region. Yeah, that's a mouthful. Yeah, it is. <laughs> but I had to make sure I had the summary in there no, because I feel like now we have a bit of a pivot to more governance and becoming more a part of the bigger picture. At that point, which I had sort of mentioned in 2008, the way case management was run, all of these are services available through your state. A lot of benefits are federal, but what a lot of our general community doesn't realize that your state elections, your state officials, and your state politics affect your day-to-day more than you ever know, mm-hmm. right? So that's one of those also things is being aware of your state politics mm-hmm. and being a part of what matters to you. Also encouraging students to be a part of, because I just thought, well, okay, well, let's pay attention to federal and then the right. state does this. No, the state's affecting your day-to-day life way more than the federal government is, especially for our folks with disabilities, sure. right? So the state manages these services and allocates them out. And so initially it was run through case managers the mm-hmm. way I did before. Right. In 2010, ACOG, or Alamo Area yeah. Council of Governments, each of the counties and areas took over the case management. So it went to more government managed mm-hmm. versus private business wow. managed. Mm-hmm. And so I was just a part of that transition of folks and took a job there as the state of Texas took a new path towards providing right. services. Mm. So that was kind of my first foray into service work that wasn't profit oriented, right, if yeah. that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's pretty cool, too, with where you're at right now and understanding the resources that are available through mm-hmm. that, too. And then on the governance piece, we've had Jalen McKee Rodriguez, where mm-hmm. I've always said that when you look at politics, there's the federal side, of course, and you see all the back and forth. But like what really happens that affects us immediately is city council, school boards, mm-hmm. things like that. It, it's really kind of a cool pivot from, like you said, coming out of case management and then coming into the governance side to where now it's really you're starting to piece it all together. Right. So then in 2011, case services manager for DNS community community services. How does that come into play? Transitioned over as I was working as a service coordinator, which is a case manager at ACOG, got offered kind of an elevated opportunity at a for-profit company again. I wasn't still sure nonprofit wasn't like, oh, that's where I'm going to live my life. So then got an opportunity to go there, love the people I work with, Mm -hmm. but that was the like, oh no, we need to go back. (laughs) We need to go back to to this, right? And love every organization that I've worked with and blessed to have those experiences because I wouldn't be here where Mm -hmm. I am today. But that's what led me to be in that space of bigger opportunities and bigger ways that people like myself can right. make a difference. Yeah. And I feel like at DNS too, again, it comes down to resources, still working in the case management mm-hmm. space, but DNS provides adults and seniors with the daily support services and helps individuals maintain their independence through supportive care, including day programs, behavioral health, and medication management and telehealth. So again, it comes down to resources. Having exposure to those different resources too, again, is something you, I'm sure you pull on today. Absolutely all the time. And that experience is irreplaceable in my path as a professional. Right. And and it's something too that, I mean, yeah, you can learn what those services are and how they connect, but until you actually use them. Or help somebody access them. Right, yeah. Just the nuances of it. Oh man, it's huge for sure. Until you help somebody fill out an application for services, until you help somebody wait in line to get this Mm -hmm. or that Mm -hmm. with government services that are necessary, you have no idea what happens for those people. You have no idea. Earlier in the conversation, we were talking about psychology going into further education around this time you start getting into your master's program. So around that time, it was like, okay, I need to be a part of something bigger. And that's just kind of part of who I am is what's next, what's next, what's next. And so at that point, with what I was doing, I felt it was the right time to start looking into higher education. 
started studying health education, which is a lot like public health, but health education is more also on the communication and the statistics and those types of fun Mm. stuff. And so I would argue in 2010, online master's programs weren't common. If they were common, it was like, oh, you're doing that online. It was one of the best experiences I had because it was also an accelerated program, so different than college, Mm -hmm. that moved quickly. And if you haven't figured out, I move quickly. (laughs) And so it it just matched, that style of education just matched the way my brain worked. Mm. And then now here we are in 2023 and online education is now forced into our lives Mm -hmm. and we're finding it a way to make that effective. Mm -hmm. And it's finally like you can go back and be like, yes, no, I did do that online or I did do that virtual. Right, more accepted to speak to that. Exactly. You're not walking from the HSS to the MS building. Right, exactly, (laughs) exactly. It's just interesting how time so quickly changes and makes things socially acceptable, if that's the right word, or even socially desirable. But that was that opportunity looking at things from a higher level, right? right? So from 2008 to that space, climbing and being in leadership roles and doing that, well, you need a bigger view, a higher view, right? And that type of education is what gives you that higher view and places you in that space. You get your master's degree in health education in 2012, 2013. You become the director of community education for the ARC of San Antonio. And again, as another organization I need to familiarize myself with, the ARC of San Antonio serves as a social service home in Bear and surrounding counties to children and adults with intellectual and developmental disabilities and assists their families also during the phases of mm-hmm. their life. How'd that opportunity come to you? And again, you're stepping into a director role at this point. My journey at the Arc of San Antonio is an accelerated but super impactful journey. So just to go back a little bit, while I was getting a master's degree and working at DNS, I met a woman who is a major advocate in the community for folks with disabilities. And so she would show up or support these families as a secondary support, a neutral person or whatnot when we'd go to school. Her name's Pam Stevens. Mm -hmm. It was like, oh my gosh, I want to be you. And so I got to know her better on a personal level. And the Arc of San Antonio at the time offered adult day services, which is during the day Mm -hmm. it's a curriculum-based program so adults can come in and gain different skills and areas that are important to them. But we also at the time had a children's after school and summer program that was specifically for kids with disabilities. So Mm. some of the kiddos that were not successful in their school after program because of maybe behavioral or medical Mm -hmm. needs, they transported folks to us on the bus after school. And then we kept them until 6 or 6.30 Mm -hmm. when their parents could come just like a traditional daycare. So that position became open and I was like, I can do that. But Pam Stevens is the one that called and said, I want you to come work here. So Pam Stevens is the reason that I'm in nonprofit work. And that's where I got into true nonprofit of service based, like, oh my gosh, this is cool. Right. right and yeah, so, yeah, yeah. and nonprofit world is very different in that the way things are done business wise and decisions are super different. So it was another thing yeah. for me to learn. And so it was the director for the childcare program and then was the assistant director of the adult program. At the ARC, they also offer case management services. And I found myself a lot with parents trying to help do things rather than managing the program. So got offered to step up into the case management program that the ARC offered and then just stepped up again, became the director of that (laughs) state case management program. And then we created our community education program. And so in addition to being the director for our community services case management program, I did a lot of public speaking to parents and teachers on things like adult guardianship, on Medicaid waiver 
caregiver services, et cetera. And that yeah. quick path that the ARC supported me in doing in being able to recognize where my strengths play. And that's something different. And I know not all for-profit businesses are this way, but where I feel nonprofits are different is there was an intentional effort to know who I was. Yeah. You're good at that. Mm. So you're going to do that, right? And we joke on the nonprofit side, don't tell somebody you're good at something because yeah. then you get to do that. <laughs> However, it helps self-awareness and that, oh my gosh, I am good at that. Yeah. Right. When before I wouldn't have done it if you wouldn't have made me do it. Yeah, yeah. It's so funny you say that because people ask me all the time, how do I do community work? And one of my primary recommendations is work at a nonprofit because you're going to wear all the hats and do all exactly. the things, sometimes not by choice. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And yeah. it was, well, these things needed to be done or where is the gap? Oh, I want to fill that. The ARC supported that for yeah. me. And the ARC of San Antonio is still one of my most favorite nonprofit yeah. organizations. And I support dearly their mission and everything they do every day. It also speaks a lot to their culture as an entity because they also provide you the opportunity to be a part of the Endeavor Fellows Leadership Program. At the Arc of San Antonio, now I'm in nonprofit world, yeah. right? Now I'm going to social groups or business professional mm-hmm. groups related to nonprofit mm-hmm. world where I wasn't in that room before. Mm-hmm. Now I am. Then you start to learn about the San Antonio Area Foundation, which is our local foundation that supports our community through leadership, but also through funding support. And at the time, there was the second year, but it was their Endeavor Leadership Program for executives, and it was for CEOs or C-level folks. Mm -hmm. Well, I wasn't a Mm C-level at the time, but I made my argument that that's what I wanted to do, and this was what was going to launch me into that space. And that was one of the coolest spaces because I sat in a room with CEOs and COOs who allowed me to be a part of that conversation and elevated my thinking of this is your space. And so not only was there an education component, but it was also one of the first times that I realized I can sit at this table. And then when you realize that you're like, I'm already at the table, I'm supposed to be here. And so that was a really cool opportunity. And through that voice, I got the opportunity to be the executive director at the Down Syndrome Association of San Antonio, which is in nonprofit world, executive director, CEO, or synonymous, sometimes it's just dependent on the size of the organization. Mm -hmm. As I was finishing up this cohort leadership program with other CEOs, because of that was brought to light to we want you to lead our organization and so stepped right into the executive director at the down syndrome association and again that's after i did everything there was to do at the art and what's next came because of me inserting myself in these awkward or unclear situations or taking a seat at a table that you don't know you know if you're going to get the attention or whatnot but being confident and sitting down and saying i'm here to make a difference and then you end up in an amazing space it's crazy as you hear of certain moments in time you had somebody that strongly suggested you become part of the Ark of San Antonio and then came a time where you had to raise your hand and say I want to do this program those are two moments in time that you could have easily said no I'm good the power of saying yes to things mm-hmm. while it sounds simple it can be very difficult to yeah. do it's scary right it is. like yeah. I had never been the CEO executive director before and I have to walk in that door with a board of directors mm-hmm. a $750,000 budget confident day one that I've got this yeah but I think that people that are not in those positions don't realize that that moment happens for everybody and yeah. that moment can happen for you wow. too Absolutely. right so yeah. you have to choose to take the chance yeah. and to say I'm here so you, you had your time starting in 2018 as the executive director for 
Down Syndrome Association of South Texas. Then an opportunity comes up at Morgan's Wonderland to become the chief mission officer. And I, number one, I love the name of that right. title, which is awesome. <laughs> yes, no, and, it's and pretty I awesome. feel like it's a title built for you at this point. It was actually. So fun fact, at the Down Syndrome Association, loved what I was doing, was almost there for two years, was not looking to go anywhere. This was the opportunity I'd yeah. been waiting for. But if we go back in time to 2008, right after I graduated and trying to figure out what I was going to do, 2008 is when we broke ground on, I say we because I'm part of Morgan's Wonderland, <laughs> right? is when they broke ground at Morgan's Wonderland. Wow, okay. So that was just starting to hit the news. And at the time, that was the Gordon Hartman Family yeah. Foundation. Mm-hmm. Morgan's Wonderland didn't exist. At that time, they didn't know what they were going to call yeah. it, and mm-hmm. they were just trying to figure everything out. So in 2008, I have a distinct memory of being unemployed and sending a cold email to Gordon Hartman uh-huh. saying, I see you're doing stuff here. I just graduated. I'd love to work for you. No response. Wow. <laughs> Fast forward. I mean, let's give him some credit. No, yes. I am. Yes. He, was, busy. he yeah. was busy doing other uh, yes. things, right? And it wasn't. And it, not responding to a fresh college uh, graduate yeah, like, email. Yeah. Like, who knows nothing about yeah. the world, right? But it was just funny because I have a distinct memory of yeah. sending that email of just being like, I don't know why, but I love what you're doing. Oh yeah. my gosh, this seems like it'd be really cool. Yeah. So as I'm getting into nonprofit leadership and going, getting a master's degree and getting executive level training, your nonprofit world expands. And especially because Gordon Hartman Family Foundations focuses on serving folks with disabilities right. in a lot of different ways. Right. So our path started to cross. So yeah. then I started to meet people at Morgan's, et cetera, right. and started to just become a player and place myself in those yeah. spaces. And then in 2019, I get a phone call from Gordon Hartman and the CEO at the time of Morgan's Wonderland, Ron Miranda, that we're growing and we have a position and we'd be curious if you'd talk to us. That non-response to your email is a universe saying, you're not ready. Right. Because <laughs> yeah. what? Pause. 11 yeah. years later, yeah. it was following the path, taking chances that led me in that space to be at the level with the voice that I have today. I wouldn't be sitting here if I hadn't gone on that journey. And just for those that may not be familiar, because we do get downloads from all over the place, but Morgan's Wonderland is the world's first theme park designed for individuals with special needs in mind. And in 2017, the ultra accessible theme park opened its expansion, Morgan's Inspiration Island, which was named on the 2018 World's Greatest Places by Time Magazine. Yeah. When I got that call in 2019 to be a part, I came into Morgan's Wonderland. So at the time, it was Morgan's Wonderland Mm -hmm. and Morgan's Inspiration Island had only been open for 17, 18, and 19 seasons. So it really wasn't open for too long. Right. Gordon Hartman separately was working on some capital campaigns to do some expansions. Mm -hmm. And so they knew they were going to need to grow their team. And that's where I came in. So I came in in December of 19 with a 90-day plan, knowing things that the community didn't know yet of where we were going, what we were building, Mm -hmm. what was being invested. Literally almost 90 days to the day COVID hit. Oh, my word. Right. We had a great Christmas. Christmas season and Christmas is my favorite season. (laughs) And then we had a new year and then we opened on spring break. And I remember like we had this new dog show where those rescue dogs were coming in. And I just remember sitting there. I'm like, this is so great. Literally the next day was that Saturday that everything just shut down. Mm. What I thought I was getting myself into. Shifted. Yes. We didn't stop during COVID, but we were still developing. And so my journey at Morgan's Wonderland is still kind of crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Couldn't be happier. Right. (laughs) I feel like I hear that from so many nonprofits of the world stopped, but services to folks with special needs can't stop. And wow. during that time with Morgan's Wonderland being a theme park that welcomed interaction, yeah. welcomed up close, welcomed that kind of stuff, COVID is exactly right. the opposite of that, right? Yeah. So we knew at that point we had to stop those initial services to so trying to like, how do we stay relative? But also at the same time, seeing our community go through mm-hmm. tough times yeah. is like, okay, then we need to shift our support to support these critical life services. Mm. But we're 
we're doing all of this at the same time that we're building these other things that are happening. What I really applaud Gordon Hartman for is his drive to continue. Because even through 2020, you step into the chief development officer role for Morgan's Inclusion Initiative. Was that part of the pivot plan? Just a quick little nutshell version for those that don't know. So we started as Morgan's Wonderland. Construction started in 08, opened our doors in 2010. Morgan's Wonderland since has seen over 2 million visitors from all 50 states and 121 different countries. So we're very proud of those numbers. And Morgan's Wonderland is a 501c3 Mm -hmm. nonprofit organization. What we are now is a collaboration of four separate 501c3 nonprofit organizations. So the Gordon Hartman Family Foundation created and started these nonprofits and launched them independently. So the Gordon Hartman Family Foundation functions on its own separately. Gordon still funds Mm -hmm. between 50 to 80 community organizations annually for their support. Mm -hmm. He'll tell you, if I have to put money into Morgan's Wonderland, that's money I'm not putting directly into the community. So it's your job to help find the community supporters to support what Morgan's Wonderland is doing so that I can continue to support out here. So the Gordon Hartman Family Foundation is separate and is still doing fantastic Mm -hmm. work. But Morgan's Wonderland was created to be its own nonprofit. Mm -hmm. What's included in that nonprofit is Morgan's Wonderland, Morgan's Inspiration Island, Mm -hmm. and our Morgan's Wonderland Sports Park, right? Right. So that's all managed under that one nonprofit. Mm. That's where I got hired and started. When we developed and knew that we were building Morgan's Wonderland Camp and then the multi-assistance center, which we call the MAC, as this is all kind of going on behind the scenes and COVID is happening, we created Morgan's Inclusion Initiative, which mm-hmm. is what I work for now, which is basically the parent nonprofit. So yeah. it's still a 501c3 nonprofit organization, but it allows us to have centralized shared services. Yeah. So all of the executive team moved there. And our teams provide those shared services for all Morgan's projects. So I work for Morgan's Wonderland, Morgan's mm-hmm. Wonderland Camp, and the MAC are shared services. And that means that I'm responsible for all of the fundraising yeah. and all of those compliance and corporate relationships mm-hmm. for all Morgan's entities. And there's more coming that Gordon is just a dreamer. And that's part of who right, he is, yeah. is because he's yeah. pushing forward, obviously, when everybody else says you should stop and he doesn't. And that fits right in with your go fast. Go, yeah. go, go. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. It's good to have a boss that's right there yeah. with you. Right. So we are a conglomeration of four separate 501c3s that Mm -hmm. our organization is responsible for fundraising. Now a $17 million budget for all those organizations. The development of the facilities is incredible. Morgan's Wonderland, Morgan's Inspiration Island, Morgan's Wonderland Camp, Morgan's Wonderland Sports. October in 2020, the ribbon cutting of that, Mayor Ron Nuremberg dubbed Morgan's Wonderland and City of San Antonio Inclusion City USA, the new multi-assistance center. That's a beautiful building. What are some of the services that you guys provide within that center? We're a 165,000 square foot three-story building that houses our navigation system, which is what's core to the MAC. The MAC provides a collaborative care service based on the social determinants of health. Mm -hmm. So what's interesting is about 10% of you and your health outcomes are going to be determined by your genetics, how you were born. 20% refers to your access to health care. That leaves 70% of somebody that in a traditional setting you're only addressing. Our commitment is to address that whole 100% of person. And so those social determinants of health that affect 70% of the person are things like transportation, Mm -hmm. food insecurities, education, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. 
this collaborative care model that the MAC does is a method to connect 100% mm-hmm. in a circular fashion and create communication across. So when you go see a physician at the MAC, which our primary care is owned and operated by Communicare, one of our wonderful organizations in town, and everybody kind of agrees, well, has to agree, <laughs> to use our navigation system as a means of communication and connection, mm-hmm. right? So our navigators, which are human beings, mm-hmm. will meet folks and onboard them. And this all just started this year. So it's really cool. Wow. We'll meet folks and do a couple of different assessments, which include social determinants mm-hmm. of health. Where are the gaps and barriers in your space? And then through this system, we're going to connect you across this web of, okay, do we need to talk about housing? Do we need to talk about transportation? At the same time, do you need dental care? Do you need X, Y, and Z? So providing that network, right? Mm-hmm. And then once that network is out, anybody that's what we call a macker, which is somebody who is a part of our navigation system, can receive referrals and communicate back and forth. A lot of people are familiar with an electronic medical record. Mm-hmm. This is just kind of that but in a connective sort of way mm-hmm. with someone actually controlling it, not oh, just wow. a folder that someone's carrying. Right. So as the navigator, I can say, okay, well, I referred you for a new primary care evaluation mm-hmm. and I see you missed that appointment. Yeah. Was there something that caused that? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, that was transportation. Okay, let me talk with you about the resources that yeah. we have to improve that. And this can all snowball in such a beautiful way in that your barrier here has to do with public transportation. Mm-hmm. We are actively working with Via Transit System and the Via Paratransit System to make it better for San Antonio. So we've been invited to their table and we're directly using the input that we're receiving from the community of where the barriers are to make that better. And that's just one example. I mean, same thing with housing, same thing with the food bank. You have a food insecurity, but where is that stemming from Mm -hmm. and how do we help the food bank help solve that Mm -hmm. barrier? Really a network of nonprofits within the city of San Antonio, Mm -hmm. I feel like is a very strong network utilizing all the resources that are available to the highest degree. Mm -hmm. I would argue and have argued in a national setting that San Antonio's nonprofit community and network is very different than most other major Mm -hmm. cities in the country. Morgan's Wonderland, Gordon Hartman had the idea for Mm -hmm. it. It took hundreds of people to come together, to invest, to believe in, to create new rides and attractions that never existed before. Started on collaboration. So then we start the MAC, it's like, we're not here to duplicate services. We're here to connect and we're going to work directly with the nonprofit Mm -hmm. that's already established. It does it well. We're just going to help coordinate, maintain, and loop back around. When you look at the nonprofit landscape and everyone is vying for the same donation dollars and trying to figure out a way to gather as much as they possibly can Mm -hmm. and really kind of missing the boat on utilizing those dollars and those resources. Part of the Morgan's Wonderland Collective mission is to promote and create cultural change in inclusion and accessibility. So we have a theme park that is a very tangible example Mm -hmm. of access and inclusion, but we want to use our mission to amplify everyone else to do what they're doing in a more inclusive and accessible way. Mm -hmm. And so part of that is recognizing not that we could do that better than someone else, but it's a how do we help you amplify in this space what you do so well, right? Mm -hmm. And Gordon Hartman will make investments in smaller nonprofits Mm -hmm. that are doing unique filling niche spaces that aren't being filled. And then as a collective of the community just kind of supports and moves it on. Even for the donor and the community, if you can invest and collaborate in that, Mm -hmm. your dollar goes so much further. And what Morgan's Wonderland is trying to do and my role for 2023 is to just be a force multiplier Mm -hmm. of this mission in this community. How do we help you do what you do in a better space and vice versa and collaborate in that space? It's great to watch Gordon Hartman work and his passion is obviously very evident. And then the trickle down effect to the culture within the group itself too. I mean, everyone's got to be driven Everyone's got to be moving at that same pace. And that's really is what affects the quickest change. At the same time, just the thought of innovation, creation of accessibility, all of that 
happening, even just the rides at Morgan's Wonderland having mm-hmm. to be specifically designed for total inclusion. Making wheelchairs accessible for water rides. That's, right. that's just incredible. Yeah, our pneumatic wheelchairs are pretty awesome. And yeah. we were told once we opened Morgan's Wonderland, uh-huh. it's hot here. Where's the water? Well, you can't make a water park that's wheelchair usable and interactive. Sure. Okay, so if we're going to do that, then we have to find a way that everybody can do it. Well, if you are an independent adult that uses an electric wheelchair and you want to go to a water park, we need to find a way to make that happen. Mm. And so um, with the collaboration of the University of Pittsburgh and the Hurl Laboratory, they developed the world's first pneumatic wheelchair. So it's a wheelchair that is powered completely by air with no electrical components on it. So if you utilize a power chair in the community, you would come to our wheelchair valet where you check your chair with us and then we give you a chair back most close to what you're used to using Uh to allow you to retain the independence level that you want. So if I'm independent in a power chair, I want you to be independent in our water space too. Some of the coolest stuff is seeing adults who maybe have had an acquired injury later Mm -hmm. in life because that can happen to any of us. For the first time, be able to play with their kids Mm -hmm. in a splash pad and go in their chair under the water. Those are some awesome spaces. But while that's cool, that concept can be applied in so many spaces, Mm -hmm. right? And that's my job. There's just so much to that. And just one person getting that experience is Mm -hmm. huge. We are also Military City USA, right? And we're very proud to be Military City USA and Inclusion City USA. Mm -hmm. But again, a lot of people think about children with disabilities, and that's core to what we do. Yeah, sure. But being Military City USA, a lot of our service members that are ill or wounded in service are transferred to our medical Mm -hmm. center here. And a lot of those folks are burn survivors. Yeah. And a lot of those folks have limb loss. We work directly with them. Mm -hmm. And so some of the first times that a parent can play with their kid again in the playground is on our wheelchair accessible playground. We have all these awesome things, but really the intellectual property is a way of thinking. It's a way of not saying no and not giving up and persevering and pushing through. That's really core to what we do. And I failed to mention, but part of our mission from day one, starting with Morgan's Wonderland, is anybody with a disability will never have to pay. Admission to Morgan's Wonderland for somebody with a congenital disability all the way up to an acquired disability, like a ill or wounded service member or a Mm -hmm. veteran, can come into our park Mm -hmm. every day for free. Same thing with like our sports and whatnot. Mm -hmm. What we need the community to do is to help support removing that barrier for folks. Like we do adaptive sports. Adaptive sport equipment costs a lot of money, Mm -hmm. but we don't want you, the adaptive athlete, to have to utilize your money that pays for your food and your well-being to have to give you access to something that I could just go outside and do anywhere. So there's that commitment in our sports, in all of these spaces, that that's all no cost. And that's where the community comes in to help support. I love hearing the dots connecting as you were telling your story through school, through career, and knowing where you're at today, just getting the full basis of understanding what it is that you need to do to do your job effectively. All paths led to this and really appreciate the time. Before we wrap it up, I do have three quick questions for you. The first one being, how did your time at UTSA prepare you or add value to your career path? UTSA is what gave me that wake-up call of the world's a little bit bigger than Mm Beville, Texas, right? I mean, and Beville's such a great little town, but it gave me the initial awareness to know that I could be a part of something bigger Mm -hmm. and make a difference in that space. And what was your favorite memory at your time at UTSA? My favorite memories are either directly tied to FIMU and my sorority sisters and doing crazy dress-up things, random events that we would hold, but also I was lucky enough to be an orientation leader for UTSA for several years and made some amazing 
amazing friends. And once you can give a tour backwards at UTSA, (laughs) which is what you have to be able to do. And that also started me really on a path of self-awareness and self-reflection, right? I think growing up in a small town, you think you know everything and I'm just going to do what I'm going to do. That's when you get those reality checks. I credit UTSA and that time and the orientation leader program and that development because there's a lot of investment in the orientation leaders of UTSA because they're doing important, important work. Mm -hmm. Really created my path of Mm self-awareness and intentional with what I do and how I say. And I'm still on that journey. Your orientation at UTSA is what kicked the path off. Yeah, right. I mean, it did. (laughs) All paths lead to Roadrunner. Yeah. Yeah. Last question. How can the UTSA Alumni Network get involved with Morgan's Wonderland? The biggest thing that we need is your advocacy and support. And that starts with you deciding to live inclusively and be aware of accessibility in your community. So that's the first and foremost thing you can do is be an advocate in that space. Mm -hmm. But also with everything that we talked about, Morgan's Wonderland really touches almost every facet of our community. So if there's a space that you're interested in, healthcare, therapies, horses, Mm -hmm. outdoor recreation, archery, if you're a veteran, if there's a space, we have a space for you. And if you're a community member wanting to volunteer, but also the support of our mission allows us to grow and serve more people. And let me tell you, the demand is higher than ever, Mm -hmm. and it's going to take a community like San Antonio to support something Mm -hmm. like this. Mm -hmm. Morgan's is open to the public. I mean, I encourage you to go and see the work that you're doing because I think it's really going to speak to you. I mean, when you get on the grounds and see Inclusion City USA and the work that they're doing, it's going to speak to your heart and there's going to be something that speaks to you. If you circle back to Morgan's Wonderland was created not for folks with disabilities, Mm -hmm. Morgan's Wonderland was created to be a place that everyone could go and not have to worry if there was a barrier that they were going to encounter. Mm -hmm. And I would just encourage if there's any UTSA alumni that are interested, I'd be personally honored to support you or to talk with you in that space about how you can make a difference or to learn more. And then also with our UTSA students in this nonprofit space, if I can be a resource or just be an encouraging voice that we all need, I would be honored to do that. That's awesome. All of the contact information for every entity that Brooke has been a part of is included in the show notes. So if there's any piece of that that you want to take away, learn some more about that's in there. And then all the links to Morgan's Wonderland is also going to be included on there. So whether it's monetary or volunteership, we strongly suggest you look into it, get involved. And like Brooke said, she'll be there ready to welcome you with open arms as a fellow alumni. But Brooke, thank you so much for your time today. We really do appreciate the time. I appreciate the opportunity to be able to tell my story. And I hope we can continue to make sure that our roadrunners and our San Antonio community remembers everybody matters everybody has a voice and take those chances and opportunities because connections don't make themselves wonderful birds up birds up so there you have it runner nation the interview with brooke kearney chief development officer for morgan's inclusion initiative and morgan's inclusion initiative is much more than a nonprofit organization it is a movement of inclusion and the organization oversees five fully inclusive, ultra accessible facilities where individuals of all ages and all abilities can come together for recreation and a better understanding for one another. And I got to say, the her experience, again, rings true with a lot of folks that we talked to on this show about their time at UTSA and really kind of setting them on the trajectory of leading it to where they end up. And in Brooke's case, you know, she had it in her mind that at some point that she was going to be working for Morgan's Wonderland, her experience of even reaching out to them in her earlier in her career, looking for a job over there and it not coming or not even getting an answer from it. And then ultimately landing in this position. Like we had mentioned in the interview, it's all about inclusion and it's all about alumni support where we can all go in and really she stresses to go and check out the facilities, you know, from Morgan's Wonderland, Morgan's Inspiration Island, Morgan's Wonderland Camp, Morgan's Wonderland Sports, and now the new multi-assistant center. 
which is an incredible facility. So there's so much innovation that's happening there. And after we finished the interview, I'd say, man, we really make, need to make the connection with the College of Engineering with all the all the innovation that they're doing for multi-accessible deals. So we need to talk to Dean Browning and maybe, yeah. although she's already having those conversations, but you know, <laughs> have some alumni support there. Uh, but I do have all the contact information in the show notes. So please make sure that you check out everything that's happening at Morgan's Wonderland and make sure you get involved, whether it's with your time or monetary. Uh, but Brooke, thank you again so much for the time. We really do appreciate it. Yvonne, what else is happening at the university and the alumni association? Yeah. So we got a couple of, Credit Human sponsored spending and debt info sessions to kind of help you if you are maybe a recent grad or you're finding that you're you're managing a lot more financials for you or your household. These are some helpful sessions. They're during lunch. You can also participate virtually if you can't get out of get away from where you are to go be on campus. So on February eighth, the session is related to planning to save and spend. And then on another one on February fifteenth, this one is understanding debt and thoughtful spending. And it's thoughtful spending and thoughtless spending. So mm-hmm. there's a yeah, so there's a difference. I thought that was interesting. That's cool. Um, and yes, like I mentioned, if you're able to participate um, on campus, there will be lunch. There's going to be some giveaways, uh, but you can also participate virtually. And then if you still haven't gotten your UTSA ring, it's something you maybe you didn't get to do during your time as an undergrad, or maybe you are ready to get your ring um, and you qualify as an undergrad. There are ring sales taking place on the 14th, 15th, and 16th on campus from 10 to 5 in the UTSA first floor corridor in the student union. And then if you're going to the downtown campus or if that's a more convenient location for you, those ring sales are taking place on Wednesday the 15th from 11 to 5. And then we've got a career talk networking and mentorship virtual session that the Career Center is hosting for alumni. That's on Thursday, February 21st, and that is also virtual. And it's in the evening, so it's 6 to 7 p.m. And then, of course, our big, big, big first event of the year, UTSA Alumni Association Diploma Dash 5k taking place on campus february 25th from 8 a.m to 11 a.m so you can register and find out more information about all these things by going to utsa.edu backslash alumni we look forward to seeing everybody yeah at the diploma dash i've been running every morning and trying to get up to the 3.1 miles and it's been a struggle uh so thankfully the Diploma Dash uh, does not discriminate if in your ability <laughs> to run the full 3.1 miles. So uh, it is more about fun. It's more about uh, camaraderie, uh, connecting the alumni network, and raising money for the Alumni Association and the students. Yes, absolutely. It's a lot of fun, too. The band will be out there, President Amy, lead other leadership. It, it's going to be a great time. Is it weird that I'm kind of excited about the sausage wraps? No, not at all. I love them. Yeah, it's so good. Oh yeah, there'll be there'll be some there'll be free beverages, things before and after the race, and uh, so it's a good time. Yeah, good absolutely, time on absolutely. Yep. Well, I had a chance to attend the UTSA CSM Alumni Council Mixer that was last week, and it was really great turnout. Another prime example of alumni getting together and working with the alumni association to broaden their networks. And whatever college that you graduated from, there's typically an alumni council that's involved uh, or that is in place. So if you are interested in, in getting involved, uh, make sure you reach out to the Alumni Association and let us allow us to make the connections for you. And then we just had a board meeting at the UTSA Southwest School of Art, which is downtown, and talk about a really cool facility that is. Oh, yeah. it's really. It, I mean, it's been there forever, but it, 
just yeah. to, just to have greater access to it as UTSA alum and it being part of the UTSA community, I think it's just it's going to elevate it even more and bring even more interest and accessibility yeah. to the programs they have there. So there's a big plan for a Fiesta event for the yeah. Alumni Association. It's going to be really cool. It's going to be down at the Southwest School of Art. And then they also have classes for the public. You know, so for there's kids classes, there's adults classes. So if you're interested in exploring the arts, yeah. uh, there is availability for that as well. Again, yesterday's uh, State of the University address was was fantastic. There was a couple programs that they had talked about that I didn't even know were really at UTSA. One of them being the Bold Scholars residential pilot that they're doing, mm-hmm. uh, where it's basically a study cohort living, right? So students of the same field of study pretty much live in the same buildings. And they all are going through the experience together. And I, th- I thought that was really cool mm-hmm. to be able to experience a college like that. Yeah. Uh, lastly, I want to give President Amy and his team uh, the best of luck as they go up to Austin for the 88th Texas legislative session as there's a couple bills and plenty of unallocated dollars out there that they are really working to drive towards UTSA. So good luck at that. Uh, We look forward to hearing the outcome of that experience for you guys. But thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for downloading. If there's anything you can do to help us out, please subscribe. Leave us that five-star rating review as it helps us more than you know. We have new episodes coming out every other Friday at 6 a.m. And we'll catch you on the next one. Hurts up. Hurts up.